We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello, and welcome to the Televerse, Send on Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kalzik, and I'm joined by Simon Howell, Mr. List this week. Uh, I hope you will appreciate that, sir. Uh, thank you. Yes, I, I do. I, I'm glad... <laughs> I'm glad to have earned your lack of respect. <laughs> How's it going this week, Simon? I've been worse. Lots, <laughs> lots doing. Uh, it's been. It was a. It was a weirdly unsatisfying week of TV, although not without some highlights and some lowlights, including what I would call a spotlight of shame. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get to that. Uh, I'm glad that that we are somewhat on the same page with that. I think because. Uh, there's there's this one show that we watched this week that everybody else that I've listened to seems to at least not mind that I really hated. So I'm looking forward to talking about that with you. Um, this week we got some some comments and tweets. The main the main thing I would say from the tweets this week was very strong reaction to the Chuck finale, um, both positive and negative. And so in relation to that, we changed up our planned DVD shelf and we got uh, Sean Kewen from Zero Pretension to come on and talk Chuck with us. So that's going to be our DVD shelf segment for this week. Any uh, any last statements that didn't make it into our shelf? Uh, oh, I just wanted to say... Um, for all you Chuck fans, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say some things in the in the segment that you're not going to be happy with, but I do have one more thing to say that you're not going to be happy with. Also, I'm sorry, nerds, you guys inherited the culture. It's yours now. You don't get to be the underdogs anymore. That time is over. <laughs> yes, the geeks That's have inherited. That's all I have to say. It's great. Exactly. So, you guys, I'm sorry, you're, you, you don't get to be the other. Now, the culture is yours. You must You must own it. Geek is the new cool, and I think it's pretty fabulous. I, I'm, I'm a fan of that. That was a, definitely a fun conversation to have with uh, Sean. That'll be coming later in the show. Uh, we didn't get any iTunes rating this week, but maybe next week we will have one to talk about. That would be uh, that would be lovely. Now, on the site, sendthesite.org, uh, this week I'm going to be putting up a write-up on Vampire Diaries. Uh, listeners to the show will know that I mainlined the series in the past few weeks and I'm all caught up now and so I'm going to do uh, sort of an article on what I think The Vampire Diaries does right that so many other shows get wrong so that's that's uh, that's my article for this week that should be going up on Wednesday any thoughts on the subject I do but I suspect you're probably going to echo them in your piece so I'll I'll keep stunned for now Okay. Um, I'm also going to be adding uh, Vampire Diaries reviews to the website when it starts up this week. So that should be that should be fun. Um, but, you know, we've got some heated discussion, I believe, to mm -hmm. come. So let, let's get into this. Uh, we have on... Well, before we start our week in TV, I will mention that I caught up with Children's Hospital, finally. I had missed this over the past few seasons and had so much fun catching up with it. This show's hilarious. 
Uh, and granted, it's helped by its incredibly short runtime, and it's also probably helped in my estimation because I've watched so much Grey's Anatomy over the years. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen the past like season and a half, but other than that, I've seen all of the show, so I really enjoyed that element. And I love that they film at the same place as Scrubs because that's another series that I really enjoyed. So I've uh, I've had a blast with Children's Hospital. I can't wait for the new season to start. And uh, I guess the last thing I would say is there's so many awesome guest stars on Children's Hospital and so many people who I think I've liked them best on Children's Hospital. Mm-hmm. Like like Sarah Silverman is one that pops right to mind. And there's some others as well where I just really enjoyed them in that form format. Jeffrey Ross, I would also put out there. Yeah, he was hilarious. Um, yeah, the... I, I really enjoy Children's Hospital. I, I think the the episodes that do it best for me, I, th- I feel like the more high concept they go, the more I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Like they'll if they do an episode that's a fake documentary about the series or isn't even set in the hospital at all. Or I, I love the three-act play episode in the mm-hmm. most recent season. And just what they can cram into ten and a half minutes is just ridiculous. It's remarkable. You forget how quickly the how, how much story and how much how many gags they fit, they fit into that time span. But it actually is really impressive, I would say. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that starting back up and being able to talk about it with you on the show. I assume you're you're gonna watch it. Oh yes, definitely. Uh, let's get into our week in TV. So uh, let's rip off the Band-Aid and start on Wednesday. The series I was referencing at the at the top of the show is... Oh, I didn't know it was first. ...is Touch. Yep. <laughs> oh. So let's oh. talk about the Touch pilot. Anyone who follows me on Twitter knows that I hated the Touch pilot. Uh, and it's the le- my, probably the least favorite thing that I have seen all season. So that's starting from the time that this podcast started. That's a strong, strong statement to follow. But Simon, what did you think of Touch? Okay, this isn't the worst pilot we've seen, but I think it might be the most insulting. I think that that's that's how I can sum up my feelings. And I, 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 I think we hate it for some of the same reasons, but not all of the same reasons. Uh, some of the same reasons that I hate it. Oh, and I'm just going to mention we haven't actually discussed this uh, yet. No, yeah, we don't know where this is going. First of all, this this show is like an extension of I don't know if you've seen uh, Twenty One Grams or Babel or Beautiful or any of those movies, but it's really an extension of of those movies, these Guillermo Arriaga slash Alejandro Gonzalez and Yuri films, where everyone is connected, and you know, in a worldwide sense, and they try to derive meaning out of relationships that you know really don't that. They try to infer, you know, a message about fate and interconnection and the modern world, and it's always pretty trite to me. And this show actually manages to make that idea worse by throwing in fake math and fake science. And I'm a, I'm guessing that it's that strain of of like sci-fi slash sort of magical thinking posing as real science that really pisses you off. Actually, no. Uh, I don't like that. It's annoying, and it's uh, there's some pretty. I, I I feel like this is an easy critique to say that may be a bit too dismissive, but it feels like some lazy writing. Oh, the numbers are everywhere. You know, it just. I I'm not a fan of that. I think it's not well written. But that's not the the deal breaker for me. Okay, uh, if I may have a second guess. Go for it. The the whole the whole premise of the show for anyone who hasn't who didn't watch this um i I believe that they just aired the pilot and they're going to start start the series properly 
is Kiefer Sutherland, who is really good on this, and I, I like him a lot, and he he saves a few moments of this show for what it's worth. He does his best. Um, he his he plays a a widower. His wife died at nine eleven, which also can we just not ever do that plot point ever again? But anyway, um, and he's left with this with his son who is mute and. Uh, he has been diagnosed as autistic, but he's not autistic. He's magic. And <laughs> <laughs> look, like there's enough misinformation and stigma surrounding autism in reality. And just I'm very uncomfortable with this whole with with this. I mean, like we've already got Jenny McCarthy trying to who is uh, either anti-autism or pro measles. I'm not sure which, but. I, I, I'm really uncomfortable with them associating like the whole Danny Glover character. And he's like, Oh, some, some autistic kids are misdiagnosed and they're actually magic. And just <laughs> that whole thing. I don't know. That was the other big takeaway for me is like, I actually found that a little offensive. Yeah. I see what you're saying there too. That's not the deal breaker for me either. Okay. Even though the, yes, the, the somewhat uh, demonization of the, of autism and what that means for families and et cetera in, in this is, uh, there's some really troubling implications on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will actually echo your thoughts on Kiefer Sutherland. I think he's great here. I think he's very strong and that's why I don't, this is a better pilot than many we've seen, but it's definitely the one that got the strongest negative reaction. There's nothing wrong with the casting. Yeah. I like Gugu Mbathara. I'm sure I got her last name, right? I really enjoyed her and Dr. Who um, in season three. And I, I even liked her in undercovers, which had its issues a year mm-hmm. or, or so ago. She's very likable. She's very likable, though her accent wanders somewhat. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so what was... I've had two guesses, which is enough for me. So what what was your deal breaker? Uh, the, the, the magical cell phone culminating in the suicide bombing at the end. <laughs> yeah, so let me just... Uh, yeah. Lay this out for anyone who hasn't seen this. So, okay. I'm just going to try to see if I can ramp back up to the geek rage I was experiencing after finishing watching the pilot. I was in a, a, a furor of geek rage for about 45 minutes to an hour, which is longer than I went into geek rage over the proposed doctor who movie thing that went, that happened a while back. Um, this, this plot point of a cell phone that gets passed from was it Heathrow to to JFK to uh, what Japan to to Mumbai like all around the world and first of all the cell phone is not destroyed second of all it's not stolen third of all apparently everybody has a charger that fits with it oh yeah it has it has an everlasting or it has an everlasting battery or an We're everlasting not sure battery yeah and so I have several problems with this now the the owner of the cell phone is desperate to get it back because his daughter who has died a, like a year ago to like the day because more dead kids because why not because why not uh he has his last photos of her and his family together are on the cell phone and he's so he's desperate to get it back cuz he doesn't have another copy of them first of all that means you're a terrible father and you deserve to lose your photos cuz you didn't back up your last and only photos of your daughter the day before she died so way to go that's your own damn fault it's not hard to back up photos (laughs) second of all uh second second of all 
the I I can buy you know like I don't have a problem with the conceit. I actually enjoy the conceit that people are, are connected and we impact each other's lives in certain ways. In another film that I would say does this well, because as I'm a fan of it, is Love Actually, where people are much more interconnected than they might suspect. I think that's a fun look at that. I have issues with Babel that are not connected to that plot, like that that structure. But I, I, I actually like that structure. But, um, for example, when the phone goes to Ireland, I believe, or maybe it's Scotland, I think it's Ireland, right? They're in Dublin. Um, and yep. this guy who clearly has a crush on his coworker, who's a singer, decides the way he's going to impress her is he's going to use this magical cell phone to to record video of her that he's not going to put up on YouTube to try to help her out to get her more viewers. He's going to leave it on the phone and then maybe the phone will go somewhere else and someone else will see it, uh, which, of course, does pay off and turns into over a million views. Um, and then the phone. Thanks to some Japanese prostitutes. Thanks to some ja- Japanese prostitutes who steal the phone uh, when it goes follows the businessman to Japan. But more than anything else, more than so, these are all eye rolly things. And then when the phone, the pictures appear on the building wall in Japan, where the of course, luckily, the guy, the owner of the cell phone, is in Japan on business, so he can just turn around and see. The photos of his daughter on the anniversary of her death. First of all, that's a really nice resolution camera phone. If the pictures can be blown up to building size and not be pixelated, that's pretty impressive. Uh, second of all, uh, the the biggest problem with this entire episode for me is the culmination of the plot line about the kid who decides to steal an oven from terrorists, gets caught, and gets uh, a suicide bomb strapped to him. With the cell phone, that's been the magical cell phone. Yeah, yeah. Now, first, there are several problems with this. First of all, if you're going <laughs> to if you're going to address suicide bombing by children and unwilling children at that, that's a serious issue that should be treated with with gravity and respect, as it is not here. Second of all, if nope. you call the cell phone, that triggers the bomb. That's how they trigger these bombs. It's that's why they use a cell phone. So that it can call, they can, when they call it, it blows up. So that that's that's another thing, right? And here we ha- the, the customer service person calls him to anyway, yeah, so yeah. Who just happens to be the the singer in Ireland, of course. So the the customer service person calls calls the phone, which he is able to take out and answer and talk on. So then, why is the cell phone on the bomb if that's not what triggers it? Ugh. Then after <laughs> I that, even thought of that, yeah. Then after that, he is going to blow himself up, even though he clearly really doesn't want to, because he wants an oven for his family, because they need an oven, because they have a bakery, and their oven breaks. doesn't matter. Anyway, so, so that he can get an oven. But it feels much more like he's doing it because he's been, his, he's been threatened, or his family's been threatened, by the terrorist that strapped a bomb to him against his will. So now that he's going to get an oven from the the Irish singer via or via the Irish singer from the owner of the phone who happens to be a restaurant supplier uh he unplugs the phone and then he doesn't blow himself up now what happens when the terror to him and his family when he doesn't blow up do you think the terrorists are going to be okay with that and just leave the family alone uh, yeah that made no sense 
honestly, my biggest problem with the whole, besides the fact that he speaks perfect English, because which yeah, I guess makes sense because he's been studying Chris Rock, which uh, yeah, um, just the whole idea of the fact that this kid, this in Baghdad, has been saved by learning English is troublesome. Uh, yeah. But also something that didn't even occur to me until now is that this show gives equal weight to a story about, uh, you know, a, a kid being a suicide bomber and potentially killing loads of people as mm-hmm. it does to this guy finding the pictures of his daughter and a singer becoming famous. And it's yeah. like, really? You've th- this magical phone has fixed all those things with the power of numbers, by the way, with the power and, of numbers. Yeah. And those things are presented as equally important. Like, well, really? And and the thing, okay, so the the biggest issue that I have with this is that children do blow themselves up, and who knows why, but this sort of thing does happen, and it's not something to be taken, you can tell in the scene that they are doing their very best to emotionally manipulate you, to affect you, to get you to cry if they can, and it's so exploitative, and it's, it's just, it it's a terrible thing to do in my opinion mm-hmm. it really bothers me everything about that plot line just rings false from the way the kids interact to the fact yeah. that the fact that he learns perfect english and yeah. the whole scene and and you're right the ending makes absolutely no sense well and the phone takes down to literally one second before he you know it's it's just the oh, it's so contrived and it it's a serious issue that's not treated with respect much like i feel like the um the having the the wife having died on with on 911 uh it's I, just I a cheap ploy for, for cheap, sentiment wait, wait yeah it's not just that she's dead it's that she died on 911 yeah i will have i do i feel like i should mention actually titus Welliver is of course excellent in in this as well though his whole thing doesn't make that also pisses me off the way that they handled his storyline you know he's been buying a lottery ticket every day with these numbers and somehow winning the lottery magically fixes him from the shut-in he's become so now he's oh and he fixes completely well adjusted and he fixes and and he wins the lottery using 9-11 yeah using 9-11 oh god yeah oh i totally forgot about that too yeah Kring, screw you. Seriously. Well, and and the other the other thing that it, to me it doesn't make me as angry as as this, the other things uh, that I've mentioned. But I if I didn't if they had handled all those other issues well, I still would be very leery about this show because it's the and yes maybe it's it's unprofessional to hold someone's previous work as an example of what their future work will be. Maybe that's not professional, but I'm going to do it a little bit here because so much of this pilot is a retread of the hero's pilot, and you can see how it's going to take, one can assume, or at least I will assume, it's going to take a very similar path to a lot of the early season or early hero's uh, storylines of following people all around the world as, you know, they're interconnected and... Yeah, and I got I watched three years of he- three years of heroes, and I'm not. Oh, you poor sod. Yeah, well, that was more of a ho- hoping against hope. Brian Fuller would come back situation, but still, I'm not gonna do it again. The heroes wasn't a good show. It became not a good show. I'm not gonna invest in touch, even if it hadn't made me so angry. 
<laughs> Even if it wasn't horribly offensive, you still yeah. wouldn't watch it. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Uh, I, I I think we've I think we've got it out of our system. Yeah. I just don't. Uh, I, I'm glad we had the opportunity to, to talk about it, though, just because I don't understand how so many other uh, reviewers and seemingly rational individuals don't ha like. No one else seems to have had a problem with this, and or at least I've seen uh, I've seen reactions varying from, yeah, it looks like it's not great. It looks like it's going to have some heroes issues. To it was wonderful. I'm so moved, and I can't wait to watch the next one. Oh, and Danny Glover also likes orange soda. So I guess if you have this thing that the kid has, you have a special craving for orange soda. Oh, oh, boy. And I, I also should quickly mention there's a there's kind of a similar character on Alphas. Um, one of one of the Alphas has autism like issues and also has, you know, superpowers. And I'm not crazy about it there either, but it is handled roughly 50,000 times. better. <laughs> oh, man. OK, but but you're right. We should really move on because we've been yes. talking about the show way too long. Mostly yes. I've been ranting about the show. Right. So long. spotlight of shame. Touch. touch first ever spotlight of shame we'll probably yeah. have another one someday oh i hope not but yeah let's move on okay so wednesday top chef texas last week we had it was the first good episode of the season probably what did you think of this week's episode uh this i thought was pretty solid uh, if only if only because it served as a delivery device for maybe my favorite tv moment of the year so far <laughs> it's in a it's in a tight race with the showdown from justified last week mm -hmm. uh when we, this this was an this was basically as tense a showdown as we had on justified <laughs> between grayson and tom colicchio and i've never seen anyone get under his skin like she did there and just actually call him on something that was a, a wonderful moment yeah it was so so much fun um i believe i don't remember the season number but i know dale uh in his season got uh tony bourdain to admit that he was wrong uh once Ooh. yeah wow by That's quoting himself too. to himself um <laughs> but that <laughs> but this is the first time we've seen colicchio at least that i remember be backed into a corner and uh basically be shown wrong and foolishly wrong not just like mm -hmm. oh you're incorrect in your terminology or something but for those who didn't watch they they were split into teams and uh each each of the three groups had to pick a dish for a like a block party kind of Mm -hmm. uh, style food and then so it had to be something fairly simple they could make hundreds of hundreds of and uh so grayson and oh who's her partner chris grayson chris uh, chris made chicken salad sandwiches and colicchio called them out on this as being not maybe not sophisticated enough and not the kind of dish that's gonna win you top chef except that the, one of the other teams did meatballs so uh <laughs> yeah she was having none of that yeah it was clearly a flawed argument my my only honestly my only complaint is that i wish they hadn't put it in the promos last week so we kind of knew it was coming but it even that didn't yeah. let us know just how glorious it was in context and i i, I would like to give points to colicchio and the editors for leaving that moment in because yeah. obviously he's got a lot of say on what the show does. And the fact that he left it in, mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I kind of look like an idiot, but it is way too entertaining to not put in there. Yeah, it was pretty much hilarious. Um, yeah. Other than that... Not 
not a super noteworthy episode, I don't think, no. beyond that. And I'm really kind of dreading next week because it looks like they're doing some sort of challenge that's related to, like, delivery. Yeah, they're, they're on They're on bikes. bikes. Which, what the hell? Yeah. At, at this point in the game, they're down to five people, five chef testants. Um, it shouldn't, they shouldn't be biking around. It should be about skill in the kitchen, not, you know cardiovascular and leg strength um but yeah but let's move on thursday let's keep the uh keep the hits going with 30 rock um so they aired two episodes this week yeah (laughs) idiots are people three and the ballad of kenneth kenneth parcel yeah um boy 30 rock did not do it for me this week i mean first of all it seems like a the the whole um they aired the first part of the the first episode this this is confusing. The first episode this week is the second part of a two-parter and the first part aired last week and first of all the idea that that episode needed to be a two-parter or that that storyline deserved two episodes mm-hmm. it it really really didn't. It wasn't funny. It wasn't interesting. Yeah. And also splitting that up in two weeks just seems like if you're going to have a week where you have two episodes shouldn't you just air the two-parter that week but anyway, whatever. Maybe you couldn't. Um the second episode I thought was a little better. But not not by much. I, I I don't really have too much to say. I mean, like the Kelsey Grammer thing should have been funny, and like him as Lincoln was like kind of amusing in like a vague, dry sort of way. But I don't think I actively chuckled once between these two episodes. It's looking pretty dire for me on Thirty Rock. Yeah, I I would say I liked Idiots Are People Three better than Ken- Ballad of Kenneth Parcell, if only because haven't we seen them? eliminate the page program before hasn't that been a plot line at least once and uh at least in idiots are people three i did i don't know if i laughed i may have just chuckled at the the closing gag of the freeze frame while the guy walks by with his cart in the background that that worked for me i enjoyed kelsey grammar i didn't really uh enjoy every else about that episode or even his plotline <laughs> but i thought he was a lot of fun whereas in the first episode i thought it didn't really work and I, and i i could see what they were going for but it didn't work for me i thought he worked in this episode here but let's i mean c- compare that to what they do with uh poor denise richards who's clearly game but it was just so broad that it that any humor oh and also what's with alec baldwin moving his head every time he says a word I feel like that didn't used to be the case with Jack. I feel like he used to be less broad and more, therefore, more underplayed and more entertaining. I'll have to see if I noticed that next week. I can't say I picked up on that. Denise Richards, I don't know. I've never seen her be good in anything, and I've never seen her be funny in anything. So I, I kind of feel like her, the idea of her as the idiot spokesman was funny, again, on paper, but not, I mean, I just, Wasn't she is, she's, she, she's a charisma vacuum to me. I don't know. Um, let's just move on to, to something funny, at least for me. Parks and Rec <laughs> bowling for votes. What did you think? Okay, yeah, I thought this was actually one of their funniest episodes in recent memory. And like it, I, I like that it wasn't super important in terms of you know the master plot of the season. I mean, we do have her continuing on in the campaign, which is important, I guess. But really, to me, this was just a vehicle mostly for laughs and not really no pathos this week which is fine by me because it was actually funny uh i mean everything tom showing up with the drive jacket and just and bowling like an asshole was great 
and then you know also winning was was great i i, I especially love the tag at the end with ron and his in his in his bowling disguise um uh and yeah i, I don't know this this one uh just, just really worked for me and also i loved aubrey plaza she really knocked knocked it out this week yeah, I'm glad they went the way they did with Millicent and uh, Millicent Gurkic and and Chris. I, I was more kind of concerned a few weeks back about where they were going to go with that, and I think this works and was was pretty uh, pretty humorous. Any of any time they use Jerry uh, to to the character's advantage, as opposed to just being the 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 butt of every joke, which is funny too. Uh, but I, I usually enjoy that. I do agree. Aubrey Plaza was really strong here. Uh, for me though, it just all comes down to Ron Swanson and bowling. It was so, so well delivered just throughout the episode. And I also, I would say that it was uh, well edited and timed. So you got enough of it, but not too much. And yeah. uh, I, I thought that was very well, well handled. And I, my, my thoughts kept straying to how many takes did they have to get to because because you see like whole takes of Tom doing his ridiculous bowling style and getting strikes. Mm -hmm. So that, that must I I would like to think it didn't take them that long, but I'm betting that it did. Well, and it, I'm so glad they did that because you know, any other sitcom would just cut to a strike. And so I really enjoyed that you do actually see him getting full strikes. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like a small thing, but it's really not. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it shows time and effort. Well, and Amy Poehler was also great this week. Just <laughs> It's such a true Leslie kind of thing that she would do. Uh, so desperate to, to have everybody like her, even this this really obnoxious uh, douchebag, for lack of a better word. Um, so I, I, I thought it was very well put together and, and a lovely palate cleanser after 30 Rock for me. For sure, yeah. Um, and then that was followed up, uh, at least by for me, by Archer El Contador. What did you think of this one? Uh, this this was all right. Uh, this was pretty standard standard issue Archer, which is you know fun but not revelatory. It's a, a nice blend of their sort of high concept spy thrills with some of their more sort of world wordplay slash literary reference based humor, which is a mix that is basically like nothing else on TV. Um, this was one of those episodes where I really felt the length of the show in like a not so great way because it really felt like maybe that maybe the setup or the mission itself needed to be tweaked a bit, but it just it felt like when that twenty minutes was up, it was like what that's it, or maybe it was that we got a little bit too much of Krieger's dr drug trial, which was kind of funny, but you know, but not. I mean, the it, it had some interesting visuals, but didn't wasn't it? I mean, it was one of Krieger's less interesting subplots. So, yeah, it was fine, but nothing mind-blowing. I think I like this one more than you did. I had a lot of fun with Archer this week. Um, actually, I would agree with what uh, Justin wrote about it. He writes our Thursday Comedy Roundup uh, article at, at Sound on Sight. And what he was mentioning in that was that it was a wise move to have Cyril actually be good in the field. Um, and, and that's not necessarily where you expect the character to go. And it's not what we've seen in the past when he's they've tried to put him in the field. And mm -hmm. so I, I, I do think they got a lot of humor out of, out of his uh, almost uh, unwitting success. And uh, I, I really enjoyed anything that was in the jungle. I enjoyed the, the hijinks with the drug testing were fun to me. I, I, I felt like that was a well-balanced thing. I, I felt like it wasn't too much time spent mm -hmm. with that, but I agree. I could have had, I could have had a double, let's so talk about double episodes, two parters. I could have had this as a two parter and been happy. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like most Archer episodes could be could be longer and it would be fine. 
Um, I, I want a, a special shout out to the scene involved when um, when Archer and Lana are trapped and the tiger gets shot and Archer's actually really upset, <laughs> but only a little upset, but really upset. Really I, upset. I, 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 I like those. I like the little wrinkles of consideration they give Archer a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So for me, you know, it was it was uh, one of the more entertaining of the week because to transition on Friday, we had fringe. I put my review up on, on the website for forced perspective. I was not a fan of this. I actually had less than half the number, the word count that I usually have for my reviews just because I didn't really have anything to say about this week's episode of fringe. What did you think? Yeah, this kind of sucked. eh? Yeah. Like it wasn't, it wasn't just like, it wasn't just like an episode that wasn't like quite all there. It actually kind of actively sucked. Like it felt like a season one episode. Interesting. In like I do think I liked it more than, than you, but go ahead. Uh, I mean, I don't know. It's just we we got a, a pretty generic freak of the week. You know, we get some some very not. First of all, the observers are probably one of my least favorite sort of serialized elements of the show. I know a lot of people are really crazy about them. I to me, they they're mostly just like a an exposition device or like some something that's blatantly there to move the plot along, which they don't even do this week really. And so just the fact that they're back, I'm not all that crazy about, but but even, but even by their standards, their input is useless this week. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, the the whole freak of the week thing is, is, is dumb and also feels like scarily close to a retread of stuff they've done before. Um, uh, lots of bad dialogue, especially for the girl in question, um lots of really stilted stuff um very little going on for it you know either it can work as a standalone or it can work as part of the master plot and to me neither of those things worked so it was just pretty much a disaster for me interesting i definitely liked it more than you did uh for me uh it was a a acceptable or mediocre uh freak of the week kind of episode um, I thought that the performances, particularly from the actress whose name escapes me at the moment, who played Emily, was strong. I thought they were strong. I liked the effects of the going into her mind thing. I thought that was well well executed and looked cool and was interesting. Um, but at this point in the story, there's only so many episodes left. and <laughs> Probably more than they know. Well, there's there's nothing new in this story. It's a, it's a story we've all seen before on other shows, in other forms. And on this show, really. Yeah, and anyone who's genre literate will know exactly where the story is going from, going to from the very beginning. It's it's not a, a huge leap to figure out what's going to happen. And so I just kept waiting for Emily to hand Olivia a drawing of herself or something to somehow tie it in, to have there be a reason that we're getting this story now. And there just, there wasn't one. Um, for those who don't know the episode we're talking about, this is the uh, episode about uh, Emily, who's this young girl who basically gets a techno babbly version of visions of people's death. Um, and, and she draws them and tries to warn people um, in time, but it never succeeds. So Basically, this episode was goes written by M. Night Shyamalan, <laughs> I think was the problem. Um, but yeah, so... The the trouble I enjoyed the observers. I actually think that's a fun element to the show. But the trouble with going to the the I've decided to call it the new universe, uh, this new universe uh, where where Peter's not been around is that they d don't know about the observers. But we already do. The audience does, and Peter does. So to spend the amount of time that they do teaching our characters what the observers are 
is just a retread for the audience because we already know that that's something that the characters can find out about off screen uh and so to spend the time on that is just a waste for me and there's yeah. also what they've abandoned any character development uh with any relationship development at least with olivia and lincoln and i just i felt like it was very forgettable i had like 10 minutes or i should say like an hour after finishing the episode i was having trouble remembering what happened yeah and the whole like thing about how the observer's threatening oh olivia you have to die like everybody not... dies Every... yeah like what do you mean soon <laughs> i don't know you mean like... painfully <laughs> yeah like uh is it uh, yeah yeah that, that, and it's just it's not an interesting way to put to push things forward and the the cliffhanger whatever just the final note of the episode was totally flat totally yeah. flat i'm hoping for a better installment next week we're gonna have uh, it pretty much has to be the other astrid is gonna astrid's gonna meet her other self so hopefully they'll finally get jessica nicole something to do so i'm looking forward to that at least um but let's move to saturday i watched an idiot abroad uh, episode with the trans-siberian express that was a lot of fun i still am getting a kick out of uh watching uh, Stephen Merchant and Ricky Gervais just torment Carl Pilkington. Uh, I didn't have any issues with uh, realism or or seeing the the strings this week like I, I did last week, and uh, I enjoyed particularly the end of episode conversation between Carl Pilkington and and uh, Warwick Davis discussing whether having a, a show of all of all little people is offensive or not and Warwick Davis clear sermon that yes yes it is that's that is not okay and Carl trying to argue with him that it was so that was that was pretty entertaining I, I I'm really getting a kick out of an idiot abroad but you still haven't caught up with it so let's move on to the fades episode three you were a bigger fan last week of this than I was what did, what did you think about episode three um again I, I'm I'm still really digging this show I think this is a stronger episode than than last week uh, maybe because we spend a little bit more time on uh, on the on the kids and and their it se or it seems like we do anyway and their sort of interaction and you know we get this we we get a plot point that should be really familiar but I think is executed really nicely with it being Max's birthday and nobody really notices and uh, first of all I, this is a random thing but the, the, I I really like the way the show handles it's previously on. Mm -hmm. and 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 their and their previews for next week they're just so spot on and i i love the fact that mac hosts it and is really excited about it <laughs> um it's it's a really novel way to do things I, I i wish more people would would pick up on that and maybe see other series do it but um yeah i really feel like like the the, the kids are are the heart of the show and and i i that combined with the show's willingness to just do anything seemingly like you know in the opening scene um, Paul is, you know, masturbating, and then he sprouts wings. Why the hell not? <laughs> and, and then he, he, he jokes about it a couple of times, but there's actually tension in that sex scene later because you don't know. He's really concerned about it. <laughs> he, he's really concerned about it. We're really concerned about it. It's concerning. Um, yeah, I, I do I do think I uh, we've talked about it, and I agree with you that I, I think it would be great if they could develop Neil a little bit because we're spending a lot of time with his character, but we don't know much about him. I don't think there's anything wrong with the performance. It's just it's just one of those things that feels a little underdeveloped. But I, I'm really digging where the show's headed. And hey, not many shows would have the guts to put its main character in front of a semi either. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I enjoyed this episode a lot more than last week. And uh, I didn't have... I think it's because they 
the, the some of the issue I was having last week, which we only got one comment on, by the way, was the the Mac uh, characterization. I liked him a lot more this week than last week, and I also I agree that the they did manage to do the everyone forgot my birthday thing well, which is such a tired idea at this point but it was executed well and i, I like the happy birth yesterday i thought that worked um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh and I, I love that the reason that he forgave him was because he had been standing out there for quite a while uh so that that worked for me i yeah i agree neil is still a bit of a problem character from a writing standpoint not from a performance standpoint um and i do feel like they we were supposed. It was, I feel like they thought that it was going to be a reveal that the 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 head fade was the guy from from his visions from Paul's vision. That seemed really obvious to me, so I felt that was sort of a misstep in the way they handled it. But other than that, I I really enjoyed the episode. I think I'm going to enjoy the rest of the season, and I'm glad to to have enjoyed it more this week than last week. Excellent. Next, we have Downton Abbey episode four. Uh, <laughs> What, what did you think about this one? I, you know, I was watching it this week after really not being a huge fan of last week's episode. And I was watching, and, and just so many of the plot points going by this week, I was like, wait, why? Why am I supposed to care about this again? And I, I, I didn't, it didn't annoy me quite as much as last week, I don't think, not on on his visceral level. But I was just amazed at how many characters are engaged in, in plots that I just don't care about. Yeah, that's uh pretty much how I feel about it. And uh I, I thought it was nice to have Lady Isabel just gone at, and early on in the episode. I was yeah. so glad yeah. to see that rather than another episode of them fighting obnoxiously. Uh, I thought there was some really well done drama with Matthew and William's disappearance. I thought that was very well handled. I really oh, enjoyed really? the performance. You didn't think so? No. Um because <laughs> There's no, come on, there's no tension. We don't see them die. They're not dead. And they're not kidnapped, period. Like, it's it's incredibly obvious. Well, you, you know that they're, well, any, you know, person who's seen enough of these shows knows they're not dead, but you don't know in what state they're going to come back. I wouldn't have been surprised to see them come back injured, if nothing else, as a, as a reason to keep Matthew around Downton for plot reasons. I was That would have been a lot more interesting. Well, I felt like it would have been a lot more uh, on the nose and convenient. Oh, they happened to turn Downton into a convalescent home just in time for Matthew to get injured, you know? So uh, for me, it worked. Uh, and we'll we'll see what happens from here. It was, uh, I'm still frustrated by, oh, I just wish Thomas weren't on this show at this point. Thomas and Bates, I'm tired of that story. We've seen it done already. And I'd... well, and and even Thomas is like, ah, I don't really care, and that he totally echoes our sentiment. I hope they stick with that. I doubt yeah. they will, but I hope they do. Yeah, I I doubt it also. Yeah, but anyways, let's let's move on. Let's talk Good Wife because this is one that I know. Uh, we, I think we we agree, but we disagree with a lot of the other people out there. What did you think of Good Wife? Well, I had really high hopes for Good Wife this week, both because it's been on a really great streak recently and because this one was written by Leonard Dick, who also wrote Executive Order or whatever that number was uh, six weeks ago or so, which I think might be my favorite Good Wife episode ever, mm -hmm. Like, or it's certainly in contention for it. So high hopes. And it's also a sort of a follow-up to an episode from last season that was really strong. And it, a lot of it didn't work for me. I mean, it's it was still fun. It's still Good Wife. It had a lot of good stuff, but 
I was surprised at, at how many things weren't clicking. I think the main offender were the scenes with Alan Cumming and Amy Sedaris, who they've met before on the show, and we're supposed... Uh, there's a scene early on where Amy Sedaris is, like, putting... Which, by the way, whipped cream and mulled wine, what the hell? But <laughs> is putting whipped cream on her fingers and, like... Or, or it, on his fingers, rather, and, like, sucking it off. And I thought she was just trying to freak him out, which, you know, maybe she's also trying to do. I don't know. I didn't think that... Like, the idea that we're supposed to buy that they actually have some sort, some kind of, like, actual sexual chemistry is... I... No. Come yeah, well, on. it's because they don't. They don't have any any uh, romantic chemistry, as far as I'm... I don't see they it. Have co- they have comic chemistry. They have comic chemistry. They have excellent chemistry as adversaries. And I, I'm actually right there with you with this. I just assumed she was trying to freak him out. And even for that, like, I, th- I was like, okay, this is a bit much. Until they actually go sleep together. I'm like, wait, 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 what's the... You know, it felt like they were just playing, like, gross-out chicken, you know? They don't have any romantic chemistry, the two the, the two characters or the two actors. Um, and so, I mean, I, I liked him better with... America Ferreira? I, yeah, I liked him better with America Ferreira. Than, than I, honestly, with... I wasn't even crazy about that plotline, to be honest. But yes, that was better. So, and I like her. I don't... The character. I like the actress. I like the character. But, man, this felt like, like a misstep. Yeah, well, but there was other parts of the episode that I wasn't crazy about, too, that I don't think bothered you as much. Just the whole Wendy Scott Carr turning out to be kind of an idiot thing, I wasn't really very happy about. She just goes over over the edge this week, and I don't know, I, I don't think we've seen that side of her before, and I don't, I'm not really crazy about the fact that, that you know, that uh, the main adversary of the moment is just, you know, kind of a weakling, and that I'm not crazy about. Uh Juliana Margulies' big display in the courtroom about like, oh, I'm not going to take this. Arrest me if you want to, whatever. And it's like, oh, this is a this. I don't know. It, it didn't feel like up to good wife standards of excellence. I don't know. It just it was a little bit too much. I was glad to see uh, that Kalinda had a had a, a scheme that she had been working. I, I thought that was much more in keeping, though it may be less interesting. Uh, development for the character, but I thought it was more in keeping with what we've seen from her, uh, her before. Yeah. I, I So I'd like that. I didn't have as much of a problem with Wendy Scott Carr, if only because I was very much associating her decisions in the courtroom, particularly as regards Juliana Margulies's character, to be connected to her stated actual goal of taking down Peter Florek. So now she has Alicia on paper somewhere admitting to an affair with will and she knows about it carrie definitely knows about it and i can't remember the other ada's name know about it as fact so as it's it's a statement of record so i expect that to come back up when we see his senate race or or whatever his next you know election situation is going to be i I was waiting if 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 she was wise, she would go and have the conversation with Peter right now, but it looks like she's not going to. So, but I, I, I'm, I'm associated more with that and less with her being incompetent, but maybe I'm just giving the show too much benefit of the doubt. Maybe. Um, anyway, regardless, I, I didn't feel like it was quite up to the standard of the last five, six weeks, but you know. Yeah, it was an off week. Even a great show's got to stumble a little bit every now and again. I just yep. wasn't expecting it this week. 
Yeah. We also had on Sunday the pilot of Luck, which we had reviewed already when it aired in December. We both liked that. We both suggest checking out the next episode next week, which we will have a review of. And are you, are you still writing up uh, reviews for that? Yes. I'm going to be writing weekly reviews uh, on Sunday nights, and I'm just hoping to do the show justice because I'm, I'm willing to bet it's going to get dense and complicated awfully fast. <laughs> and the last show we have, uh, just quickly, Monday is Lost Girl, which is a Canadian series, I believe, that is now airing on the Sci-Fi Channel. So they had a they had a catch up of the first two episodes over the weekend, and then they had third episode on Monday. I did not catch the third episode, but I did catch the first two. I know there was some interest on Twitter about this show, so I, I checked it out. It, it was it's a fey 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 world, and where there's a will, there's a fey. Or the two episodes, you know, I I enjoy the show. I feel like I feel like it's sort of a cross between Xena, Grimm, and the Dresden Files. Um, it has definitely a Xena vibe with the two main characters as far as the one has the the superpowers or abilities and the sidekick is uh, better at, at talking her way out of situations and uh, there's 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 certainly that sort of dynamic though they go out of their way to uh, to to take away any possibility of a romantic relationship for the moment so we'll see where that goes I I like. I like some of their ideas. Right now, the writing is still a little broad for me. The the dark versus the light fae or you know, supernatural creatures seems a bit too on the nose. You can always tell who's the dark because they're wearing high collars and cackling. Um, <laughs> one of those kind of situations. But, um, but, you know, it's definitely, for me, it's, it's, it's the kind of show that I was hoping Grimm would turn into. It's more interesting in that way, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see where it goes. I'm definitely going to check out a few more weeks before I make a final uh, sort of assessment. But it's a, a decently strong pilot and a not too bad second episode. We'll we'll see where it goes from there. Um, so that is our week in TV. Any final thoughts before mo- we move on, sir? No, it, uh, it's weird to hear you talk about a Canadian series. That's all. <laughs> Have you seen Lost Girl? Ah, uh, no, not at all. Okay. Um, anyway, so we're, that is our Week in TV. We're going to take a quick break here, listen to some music, and come back with our spotlight on Justified. Don't Take Too Long by Daniel Best, which was featured in this week's episode of Justified, Cut Ties. So this is the highly touted episode featuring the return of not Karen Sisko. Karen Goodall. Played by Carl G- uh, Gigino. Uh, what did you think of this week's episode? I thought it was fine. Uh, I mean, it's sort of the de facto spotlight this week since so many other shows crapped out. But that's not to say it wasn't a good episode. <laughs> um, the, the thing is, seasons of Justified, and this is the third time they've done it, so I think it's it's fair to call it a pattern. tend to follow a certain kind of rule book where the premiere sets up, you know, what is, what are going to be sort of the more serialized elements of the season. And then over the next few weeks, although not exclusively, we, we tend towards episodes that are a little bit more standalone deal with sort of, you know, just sort of Raylan doing his job and a little bit less of sort of the main villains. 
And that's pretty much what we get this week. We, we I mean, we do get a little bit with Boyd and his attempts to kill Dickie <laughs> that are that are that are thwarted. It, really, for that, that was one of my big mysteries going into this week: is how does Dickie not die? <laughs> and I, I, I think the the answer they found was quite reasonable. Um, I, I I thought it was interesting that so much, and I I wrote about this in my review. I haven't seen anyone else talk about this. But I thought that the the fact that so much of the episode revolved around a murdered marshal was interesting because, of course, two U.S. marshals died early last year while the first while the second season of, of, of Justify was airing, and that hadn't happened since 1992, uh, so it was kind of a big deal, especially since it was two of them in separate incidents. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting to see them actually sort of confront the fact like that happening somewhat obliquely, and the fact that we don't see it happen I think is noteworthy because. There's very few off-screen deaths on this show. In fact, yeah. I can't really even think of any. And that it sort of signals the fact that they're treating it with some sensitivity. And with respect, and, yes. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, I didn't think the, the Criminal of the Week thing was all that interesting. Outside of Art sort of taking a page out of the Raylan playbook and maybe hinting that he, he's got some of Raylan in him himself, especially from his younger days. Um, that was that was an interesting development. Something that surprised me to find out is uh, apparently the Karen Goodall character is not appearing again for the rest of the season. Which oh, is, okay. Which is a surprise to me. I mean, I'm assuming she'll. I mean, Justified is going to stick around, and I'm assuming that she'll show up again at some point, but not this year. Which, all right, I mean, which doesn't really bother me because they've got more than enough going on. But uh, I, I wasn't expecting it. Um, I did like Carlo Gugino and I, I, I mean, their, their dual, their dual takedown scene in the, in the hotel hallway was great. Um, anyway, there's more stuff to talk about, but I've rambled on long enough. Um, a quick note with, uh, renaming Karen Cisco, Karen Goodall, though, did they say her name was Karen in the show? I felt like they didn't actually call her Karen. I think they may have, but I honestly don't remember. Um, and then someone pointed this out on Twitter, which I thought was entertaining. The in the O. Henry story, the Cisco kid, you find out that the main character's actual last name is Goodall. So yeah, I, I heard about that. That's pretty. That's pretty. That was cool. pretty cute. Yeah. Um, I you know I had a lot of fun with this episode. I really enjoyed having Carla Giudino on the show. I always enjoy her. I think she's great. So I, I liked that bit. We get you can kind of see her as sort of Raylan's old life or what you know what what he was like more in in miami i love the dialogue between the two of them as well and i love that on this show all that they need to say uh all, all that Ju- that raylan has to say when he says that art saved his life is that is did you know i grew up in harlan and that's it that's enough yeah. for for they trust the audience enough to to know what that means and so i really i really enjoyed that as as for art and rachel it's nice to see them get a little more action um rachel still doesn't get too much to do but at least she's good at her job and and uh and handles herself well so that's something that's more than we had seen from her before um as for as for boyd i got such a kick out of that early boyd and raylan <laughs> scene it was just so well played by the two actors uh, walton goggins is just fabulous a- anytime they get a scene together it's always memorable mm-hmm. and it happens pretty often so good for them <laughs> absolutely uh how did we feel about because we kind of get an introduction to a character who may or may not be the season's other big bad ah. uh, played by michael t williamson how, how did you feel about that um <laughs> we're we're having another zombie white bread situation for me with with that character. While I did really enjoy the 
the, the scene. I thought it was well played, well written, and incredibly menacing. So I thought it did a good job of setting up his character. Uh, I couldn't help but stare at his teeth throughout the scene because he clearly <laughs> had false upper teeth because they were yellower and uneven, but his bottom teeth were pearly white and in a straight line. Uh, so they clearly gave him some fake teeth. And you could hear that in his, how he sounded too. It sounded like he, you know, was having some difficulty speaking. So it's hard to know how much of that is, is a character choice and how much of that is they just wanted him to not look like he had perfect teeth as far as the, the, the intonation and his way of speaking. But right. I I couldn't help but be somewhat pulled out of the scene because I'm me, and so I noticed that his teeth didn't match. Uh, yeah, that's the sort of thing that I would never pick up on. Um, <laughs> I, I think what I, I think I, I like him a lot, uh, and I think that there's a lot of potential for really interesting dynamics between him and the other villain played by Neil McDonough because they're so different. Uh, whether or not they'll be working in concert, I have no idea. I kind of doubt it, uh, which is also interesting. I wasn't really happy with this introductory scene just because it felt so familiar. Um, and ap apologies, I'm going to be a little bit redundant for anyone who read my review, but uh, the whole uh, staining the hand with lie is, I'm sorry, but it is straight out of Fight Club. Like we've seen it before. If you've seen that, which most discerning pop culture people will know. And it just, it felt really weird to see something like, cause usually the, the, the sources of menace on the show are so original and so distinctive, and it's weird to see something that's that feels like it's been lifted from something else, especially something recent. Um, and also, just the, the whole butchering of the uh, of, of the meat in front of him was was a total uh, was a total Game of Thrones moment, and not as effective, I would no. say. So, uh, yeah, yeah, specifically the Tywin Lannister scene, obviously near the end of uh, Game of Thrones' first season. Yeah, not not as effective, and um, and the fact that it so clearly echoes that is a little bit disappointing. Although I'm sure that that one wasn't intentional anyway, uh, beyond, but you know, not really a huge complaint. I still had a lot of fun with it this week. Not, not as good as, as the previous week I'd, I'd say, but I am excited to see them apparently get back to the sort of the more serialized elements this week, apparently, or at least we're going to get the return of Neil McDonough. And I'm very curious to see what that means. Yeah. You know, I liked having some of the more serialized elements this week or, or more standalone. That is, uh, elements this week i did really enjoy the procedural uh part of season one so i'm hoping that they can sort of goldilocks it between season one and season two i felt like on occasion season two was too serialized for for my taste just it felt like there was some stretching uh or or at least i don't know i felt like they could have used a little more standalone elements if only to give the other marshals something to do so if they can sort of uh, thread the needle this season, then that'll make me a, a happy viewer. Yeah, I, I can get behind that. Yeah. Okay, so let's uh, take uh, just a few moments here for sh show notes, and then we'll go into our DVD shelf. Our our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by The Bicycles. We are, of course, having our Chicago meetup on February 21st, I believe that is. We're going to go see... Uh, the Mulholland Drive at the Siskel Film Center, because of course, Simon, you're you're coming down Chicago way, so it's gonna be fun. Yep. <laughs> Three city uh, bus tour, uh, as I recall. Oh yeah, yeah, it's gonna be. I have to figure that one out. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, so that's going to happen on, on February 21st, which is a Tuesday evening. We're going to go see the film and then go out and grab some drinks and hang out. So if, you, if that sounds fun, please drop us a line. We'd love to meet some of you guys. Our, you can find the podcast on Mevio Current, and we have a couple of feeds in iTunes for MP3 and M4A, depending on your listening device of choice. Uh, it would be great if someone, if you, you know, if people wanted to go leave us a review on iTunes, that really helps us out. So please feel free. We would love to hear, uh, hear what you have to say about the show. Uh, and then, of course, we're going to have a post up on soundonsite.org where you can leave comments. It's been a few weeks since we got uh, any any new commenters, so it would be great to hear from some of you guys. Let us know what you think about Chuck. Let us know what you think about about Touch. <laughs> Feel no, free please, yes. to strongly disagree with me. I would love to have you know to have the conversation, and uh, and so you know you can find us there and let us know what you're thinking and what you're watching this week. Um, so yeah, I think that's about it. That's I guess we're gonna take a quick break here, listen to some a clip and some music, and come back with our DVD shelf on Chuck with Zero Pretensions, Sean Kewen. The bomb is in that hotel. He was working with Bryce. No, he opened Bryce's email. Chuck, those pictures that you saw were encoded with secrets, government secrets. If you saw them, then you know them. There were thousands of them. Wait a minute. You're telling me all of our secrets are in his head. Chuck is the computer. So pretty please. Can we defuse the bomb now? Just, uh, right here. Oh, God. No time to evacuate. Ideas? Chuck, is there anything else you remember about the bomb? Morgan. Hey, how's it going? A little busy right now, buddy. Uh, in a good way? Details. Why are you calling? I don't know. Just laying on your bed. Ellie's with the captain. My computer's got a case of the Demovas. Yeah, we figured I'd check in. You all Okay, okay, I have an idea. I think I can do this. I can do this, please. He's our best shot. Go. Mr. Bomb? Mr. Internet. Search for porn. Mm -hmm. You did it. I did it. I did it. I I defused a real bomb. <laughs> this is a real day. What? What if I was wrong? Don't puke on the C4, huh? Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Mr. Simon Howell, and this week on the DVD shelf, we're talking Chuck, and from the Zero Pretension podcast here to join us is Sean Kewen. Sean, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on, guys. So, uh, we were originally going to do a different show, but then, you know, the Chuck finale happened, and I, there was a lot of fan furor, and I know you're a big fan of Chuck, so let's, before we get to the finale, which we will spend some time on, why do you love Chuck so much? You know, Kate, um, I think I've always loved Chuck because I think um, it, it's kind of the almost 
teenager in me from when I was much younger. Chuck always kind of appealed to me. You know, I was, uh, you know, the nerdy guy in high school. Um, you know, I, I think it, it just, you know, the guy who's just a nerd, knows a lot about computers, very smart. And then, you know, he becomes a superhero. And I think that a lot of fans of Chuck are kind of like me. Um, I also will say this, and because, you know, my uh, Zero Pretension co-hosts, Greg Ashman and uh, Francis Maxwell, they know this about me. I'm also a kind of a closeted, closeted romantic comedy guy. I like rom-coms. And so the funny part is, is Chuck's equal part sci-fi, rom-com. So, and you get to cheer for the underdog, and he is always, for the most part, the underdog. So that's one of the reasons I really like Chuck. Yeah, it's a it's an excellent amalgamation of genres, and at its best, I I wouldn't say that it was ever the best show on television, but I would say that it was the best at blending genres. And if if you like action movies or action TV shows, if you like romantic shows and comedy and geek TV and all of that, you're going to find it all in one place in Chuck. And it is an incredibly, for lack of a better word, likable show as far as I'm concerned. Simon, what's your relationship with Chuck? My relationship with the show was a little bit difficult, I have to say. When I first heard of it, it didn't interest me at all. Uh, then I'd, I'd been hearing murmurs of goodness, so I watched the first season. I liked it enough to watch the second, and uh, which I, I pretty much marathoned those. And then I was watching the third season live, I believe, uh, week to week. And admittedly, I got annoyed with it midway through that third season. I did, I did stop. And I, I picked up enough uh, through the Televerse. I did watch the bookends for season five. But to, to date, I still have not seen season four. And I think maybe this is the time to bring up the fact that I think the reason, especially season two, was so good, uh, particularly in its second half, was just that um, you got the sense that Josh, uh, that that um, sorry, Chris Fedick and company uh, sensed it was the end or thought it was the end, and really rallied together and and put out some of their best material and really made it dramatically effective as well as being comedic and all the things that uh, you were saying a moment ago, Sean. And then, of course, that wasn't the end. And the shows had a series of endings, maybe more inadvertent endings that weren't actually endings than any show ever. I think it's four. Yeah, it manages to beat out Friday Night Lights for having the most uh, finales that didn't end up being finales. That's one of the things that I think really was a struggle creatively when you watch Chuck, uh, you can definitely see towards the end of season two, they ramp up for a potential finale and it was almost canceled. So I, I was actually rather glad watching the show that every time it seemed like it was very likely to end, they did give fans a, a finale, an actual ending point. And I think that's something that they did well. But because of that, especially I think you can see this in season three, where they got a late pickup for season three for a reduced episode order and so based their you know their arc around that and then got picked up for I think like five more episodes after after that so then they had to sort of undo things and do a few more I think given that element to the production side of things they did kind of do as good as one could expect I always kind of thought that um what ended up happening with Chuck was they kept trying to wrap it all up and give a really satisfying kind of end and then basically what would happen is then they'd have to ramp back up and there's always about a 
six, seven episode arc where they're trying to ramp up to something that's going to really get you into the show. And as they're doing that, they're introducing a new bad guy, a new villain, a new villain group, because, you know, Chuck destroyed every single villain group he ever went against. And in the end, they kept kind of having to lay the groundwork down. Like, the series was very episodic, but it was kind of sort of more like, well, when you bring a, a, a trade paper back in comics and you bring all the bunch of issues together and then, then you bring another group of issues together, that's kind of what I look as a Chuck is it's almost follows a comic format which with each season being kind of the first groundbreaking or the laying out of that year's trade paperback i would say one of the complaints uh against the series that i've heard and that i would probably agree with is that it does like you were saying sean it does tend to push the reset button and maybe simon that's what was frustrating you with it several of these characters shouldn't really be on the show by the point season three season four season five but I will give them credit, but they wanted to keep them around, so they found contrivances for characters to still be around. However, that being said, I do want to give them credit for not doing that after a certain point with their their main couple, Chuck and Sarah. This is one of the few shows that I've seen that have that will-they-won't-they relationship between their two action leads who just pretty quickly on say, yes, they will, and get the couple together, and the, the... the drama doesn't come after the first couple seasons from are they going to get together or stay together, but the drama comes from what are they going to do so that they can. Ooh, some of the fans might disagree with that, though, at this point. Hmm. Actually, you know, I, I think I might even disagree with that. I mean, <clears throat> I, I, I see both sides. Like, I, I see where you're coming from, Kate, in the sense of they don't dick around on that too much. Uh, that being said... To me, I mean, from from again, there's uh, there's quite a few of the latter part of the series that I did not watch, but I think part of the reason that I I got so deflated um, with with it, it's, I I you know it it sort of lost interest for me was because the to me the most dramatically effective part of the show was when they were not together and sort of and Chuck was sort of felt like he was uh, below Sarah to some degree. That was the part of the series that that worked that that really clicked for me. Yeah. You know, but Simon, when you look at it, though, too, usually when they brought them together, it was when they were in fear of getting canceled. So they would bring (laughs) them together. Um, For example, at the end of season two. um, Right. Yes. The the end of season two, where they bring them together right at the very end. And literally Chuck's going to run away with Sarah. Um, They bring them together and it's, you know, you hope they're together. And then the beginning of season three, they're not together. And then they thought they only had their 13 episode run in uh, season three. And so they get to that midway point in the season again, when I think they had Brandon Roth as the uh, bad guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, good uh, then bad. Good then bad. Well, the evil version of Chuck, mm-hmm. basically he's like this really great spy. And what you find, like you kind of get the counterpoint to Chuck where um, Chuck was always a good guy. And um, Brandon Roth character Shaw was always a spy. And that Chuck being a good guy is what helps him use the intersect and not go cuckoo. Um, but then after that point, after uh, I want to give the name, it's uh, Chuck versus the other guy. Um, Brandon Roth ends up, uh, that's, but you know, going completely wiggy. But that's when they brought Chuck and Sarah together. And then they never parted them again after that. Like, one of them was always getting kidnapped and Chuck almost got his entire memory wiped out in season four. And there were little things. <laughs> and then like, Sarah did get her memory wiped yes, out in yeah. season five. 
and, and you know, um, when it, got, it all broke down to it was that uh, the only real main problem that they had was Chuck was always wanting to, like, you know, pop the question to Sarah and kind of throw it out there. But the, the initial Sarah Walker that you get at the very beginning of the series is very emotionally closed off, like very kind of standish, standoffish, which I think actually really comes back to the pilot later on when we talk about that. But it, they did a great job. Like, I think one of the things that um, why like, and when we get to it, it'll be interesting because there's a lot of controversy going on. But the fans fell in love with the love story. And I think that was one of the things that really kept this going. It, you know, it's the geeky, nerdy superhero. When's he going to flash? What's he going to do? Special effects, you know, James Bondish stuff. But at the time, you know, Bond's a nerd and chasing a supermodel. That kind of worked for a lot of people. Well, yeah, and that, I think, is – that's part of why the first couple seasons work. And it's also sort of why I'm I'm always a little bit cynical about this show. And this is when – any Chuck super fans who have tuned into the show for the first time to listen to this segment, you should know that I'm the asshole, and I'm about to ma- and I'm about to make you angry. Um, but I, I always have this, I have this sort of gross suspicion of of nerd culture and the way it likes to pat itself on the back. And I I do think that one of the reasons I kind of tuned out of Chuck at a certain point is that it sort of became a vehicle for that kind of thinking. That you know, nerds are always the best, and you know, and and you know, this is a show that that is clearly it's it's fanboyish to an unusual degree, uh, and that's in part because those are the people that, to an unusual degree, have kept the show alive. So it it has this very close relationship with with its fans, which I which again helped it survive, but to me also sort of diminished its appeal somewhat. I'm gonna step in quickly any new chuck fans who are listening i'm going to be the not asshole right now um <laughs> uh, so for for me i i absolutely hear what you're saying simon i do think there's a lot of uh of even embracing of the uh the the fan community at the expense of the gen- general quality of the show like the objective quality of the show but i do think more than really any other show i can think of on tv this is a show that is for its particular fan base. At a certain point, they realized they weren't going to really get bigger viewers. They weren't going to get more people tuning in. And so they just became the show or, you know, made the show even more geared towards its individual audience. And I think a lot of the the issues that that you have with that more fanboy element to it are very are found in other shows. It's, it seems very similar, for example, to Psych in its tone and in its uh, in its shout outs to eighties culture and other um, fan and geek hobbies and pursuits and such. Um, and so I I don't think that it's you know it, it's not I don't think objectively the greatest show ever, but it is just it's so fun and I I enjoy that utter embracing of of we're just going to have a good time and if the show's not for you it's not for you and that that's great but our audience has kept us alive for five years when we should have been canceled after two so they're good enough for us yeah and can i and i'm going to join in and say that i am kind of a nerd herder for life i i love this show um my wife and i actually tuned in every single week um and watched it like the, the the thing with the show also was that the fact is they didn't make even all their money in terms of um, the commercials. They made it off the product placement and everything else. Like they realized that I think it was Subway Monday. Mm. Like 
my, you know, the nerd herders, as they like to put it, are nerds for life, would just run out to Subway and buy sandwiches. Yeah, it, it, there were a couple of campaigns when, uh, at, over a couple of years, when it was looked like the show was going to get canceled, where, you know, Subway is such a clear sponsor of the show, and so the product placement is, is not uh, subtle. Though, I would say it's better done than, for example, Fringe, uh, a few weeks back, uh, which was just ridiculous. Um, it is more organic than that, but... Instead of writing in letters or sending in stuff, the viewers went out and on a pick today and everybody went, and, you know, who wanted to went and bought a, a Subway sandwich and said, we're doing this for Chuck. And from what I hear, they it was actually quite a spike. Yeah, it was quite successful. I it's, went out. I got a sub that day. Yeah. It's the only reason the show stayed on the air, like really and truly. The Like um, as much as it became very tuned into its fans, it's because it always owed its fans everything. Mm -hmm. at that point and the cast is um it's actually interesting i i if you're a you know big chuck fan i hope you've gone to nbc and seen some of the close-up videos that the fans are very aware uh sorry um, the cast is very aware and the creators are very aware of the fact that the fans are the ones that kept them on the air more than any other show because it wasn't just about you know the nielsen ratings for the show because the nielsen ratings for chuck have always been horrible but you know um I think the creators and the actors have always realized that this is a very, um, the fans of the show are very tech savvy. So they're watching it on like Hulu and you know, streaming it. And so what they realized was they had to go about it in other ways. And the fans just kept saving them because Subway would just go, well, we know our advertising on Chuck's is really doing well because, you know, the Chuck Monday or the Chuck Friday that they had planned, we see these huge spikes. Well, and I think we should also, I mean, not to, discredit the 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 work of the fans in keeping the show alive a lot of that credit also goes to the fact that nbc has been terrible for the past several years oh yeah if it hadn't been for the writer's strike for example i doubt chuck gets picked up for its what was that third or, four, or fourth season at, at all i thought it was actually the end of the first like i actually always thought that chuck was one of the few shows that actually survived the writer's strike strike when it was brand new because mm -hmm. they only got like i think 13 episodes in yeah we only have so much time. We're actually almost yeah. out of our time. Let's move on to some of this cast because I do think it's a really fun and and strong cast from from of course Zach Levi and Ivan Strahovski as as Chuck and Sarah, but also yeah, previous listeners to the Televerse will know that we're big fans of Adam Baldwin, of course, from Firefly and any number of other things as Casey. And then you know, I I think one of the unsung players in this show is actually Sarah Lancaster as Ellie. I think she's she. Every every time every season where she's more present, uh, those are the stronger seasons for me. Who do you guys pick out as your uh, favorites? Well, when we're talking about sort of the the show's cultural capital for nerds, I, I, it's not a coincidence that Adam Baldwin is here playing a, a character who is not a million miles from mm -hmm. his Firefly character, and I th I think he's an obvious standout. Yeah, um, I actually really uh, well to say. Um, I think the show is very trio heavy, um, you know, with Zachary Levi, Ivan Strahovski and uh, Adam Baldwin, but then throw in Josh Gomez as Morgan, you know, like he's like the little engine that could, he, he should have died like seven seasons ago <laughs> or I guess five seasons ago, but he's like the little engine that could. Um, and you know what, like, with that little beard of his, so it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> well, I thought, I think they uh, were very wise once because they they stretched out the Morgan doesn't know plotline for about as long as they could, and 
and I think it was very wise to start pairing Josh Gomez with Adam Baldwin just to get just to have that the tiny man next to that giant man was just visually hilarious but then also uh i think it just worked really well i also would of course ryan mcpartland as as awesome uh, i i loved the the journey we saw awesome and ellie take over the five seasons yeah it was a very cool it was a very cool journey to see and then let's uh briefly before we run out of time i feel like we got to talk about jeffster what i know the fans are huge uh, into less uh, into Jeffster and enjoy that Simon as one who's more on the fence. Where do you uh, fall with Jeffster? Uh, I I that's again sort of I think one of those things that at a certain point I would say maybe mid season two or maybe a little later than that the sh- the show really became self aware and that was the point at which Jeffster really became a more prominent part of the show. I think you you can almost. I could be wrong, but I feel like you can you could you could start a graph and the, the lines would be fairly similar. Don't tempt me. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah, seriously. You, oh, I, I was going to say. Graphs. I was about oh, to say. God. <laughs> you and your graphs. I love them. They're so pretty. Um, but yeah, I would agree. One of the most uh, what was their uh, um, take on me that they mm-hmm. sang in the finale is one of the most quoted things right now amongst a lot of fans. So. You know, in the end, it's Jeffster saves the day. It's kind of funny. Let's talk about the finale. I know it's a very divisive one, particularly for its ending. But what did you guys think of the finale overall, uh, besides you know, taken away from its ending, which we will get to? Um... We get to spoil the heck out of this, right? Oh, yeah, we've already... Yeah, spoilers yeah, yeah. ahoy. <laughs> uh, hey, well, I'm going to take another chance to be an asshole. Um, <laughs> I, 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 actually, I, I think it's... I don't understand how people are upset with this finale. It seems to the letter to me to be designed to be one of the least controversial in TV history. <laughs> like it, 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 it seems like they, you know, they, they literally recap nearly every notable moment of the show. They throw in Jeffster. They throw in every character dynamic that I can think of. I mean, I don't really know what would have made people happier. Um, oh, I yeah, do. When we get to the, yeah. To the very end. Yeah. an extra five minutes, 30 seconds would have done it. I can tell you. Um, <laughs> Sean, what did you think? <laughs> um, I think that the, um, the thing is that the episode came out as kind of two episodes. It's like the finale is Chuck versus Sarah and then Chuck versus the goodbye. I always thought the versus title was kind of weird, but it's kind of cool too. Um, where basically at the very end of the season, they uh, took away all Sarah's memories right back to the pilot. And she becomes, she's not Sarah Bartowski anymore. She's Sarah Walker from the very beginning of the show. You know, hard as nail, kick-ass spy. And totally commitment phobic and emotionally shut off and that that happened because she had a wonky version of the intersect it's funny because we never even mentioned the intersect at this point like the fact that the whole show revolves around the fact that you know zachary levi or, or morgan had they had like versions of a computer in their brain um and i thought that the finale really rocked it out in terms of kind of bringing back old sarah kind of old chuck where he's completely and utterly goofy around her trying to figure out how to impress her and then quite frankly like the last episode Chuck versus the goodbye almost directly mirrors the entire pilot it's very very close to the entire pilot but like I just I just don't know like maybe okay it doesn't show them doing the horizontal tango one last time but I don't I don't see how anyone I mean are, are people so deprived of imagination that they can't just say Okay, it's obvious at this point that after the finale, all will be well. Well, the the reason that I think people are upset is not because 
of what will probably one can infer will happen which is that they will stay together she hopefully she will recover some of her memory um maybe not but at least they're going to build their life together again well and she's shown recovering a whole and bunch she's of her so, yeah starting to make the baby steps but i think it's because in its run chuck has been very much a like we were saying push the restart button or wrap everything up in a tidy little bow kind of show and it honestly watching it i expected her to get her memories back like like five minutes in at, like at the end of chuck versus sarah or at the beginning of the next episode i was very surprised that they kept her uh they didn't have some deus ex machina or deus ex in intersect um get give her all of her memories back and i think it's because people had invested so strongly in that relationship that though chuck and sarah were going to one assumes stay together all of those wonderful moments that we got to spend with them over the series were taken away from Sarah, the character, and she might not get those back. Yeah, it's a lot of people um, are basically complaining, like, you've undone it all in the oh, last two episodes. That's ridiculous, though. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, Simon, I completely agree with you. Yeah, I, I also agree with you. <laughs> I think okay. it's actually the um, I think it's the bravest and most poetic ending that the fans could actually expect to have. Um, mm -hmm. Like, it, it it takes what you were expecting they were doing because they kept leading you in a way and then did a very nice poetic way where they brought it, the whole show for full circle. Um, but I can see where the fans are kind of, some of the fans are going, you've undone everything, but I don't think they realize just how much um, the creators of the show really did throw back. It almost takes days worth of watching it or to think about it. Like they really did throw back to a lot um of previous shows like um literally in the last episode they go through almost all the same events as what happened in the pilot and if you actually look at like the kind of um long run of chuck there's actually a famous line where sarah sarah says at one point i fell in love with you between when you fixed my phone and you diffused a bomb with a porn virus <laughs> and that all happened in the pilot which means that at this point she's starting to fall she should uh, for him again I think the fans are, aren't figuring out that she's probably remembered a lot more than what they've even shown. Like, um, the creators have said there's at least an hour of this final episode on the cutting room floor and at least eight minutes that they want to desperately put back in. Even the creators have said that she's probably going to remember, if not everything, most. And the emotional connections will all be there. But the fans, I think the fans just kind of sort of wanted to see it. I think they wanted to see baby Bartowski, to be honest, in the white picket <laughs> fence, you know. And that's what they wanted to see. Yeah, I would say that this is a more interesting way to end. I would agree with you, Sean. And the other thing is, I don't. I, I guess it's my turn to be the asshole. I don't think this is a very good episode or finale. Um, I think it's basically because it is such a blatant retread of the pilot. Um, other than some, I think actually, Ivan Serhovsky is really strong in in this episode, showing the progression, particularly in the the video montage we get of her doing her journals, and I think she's she she has a lot of emotional uh, anchoring to do in this episode, and I think she really does it. But I don't actually think it's that good of an episode. It felt very much just entirely fa a fan service, and while it's always been an escapist and fun show, it was just 
ridiculous, <laughs> you know? Like, I, I knew I was supposed to be laughing and going, oh, gee, when Chuck shoots the helicopter down with one bullet. But instead, I, I was spending a lot of the episode uh, just kind of rolling my eyes. And for, I mean, I... Simon had already said, I have seen the first four seasons and I've I, I've missed part of season five. But so I've seen a lot of this show and I actually really like it. So I, I I'm actually kind of confused why so many people are saying this is such a great finale just episode outside of its you know relationship with its fans. Well, I, I think to me, the the weakest part of the finale is that. Uh, Yvonne Strahovski spends so much of the episode saying, oh, I, I need to reflect to myself and get my and, and piece my life together and, you know, and and really just work this out. But that's not what happens. I mean, <laughs> she she doesn't really do much thinking of her own. She basically just gets Chuck to piece it together for her and then she just sort of gets charmed back into it. It it, it was a little bit uh, it was a little bit reductive to be charitable. Wow. That, that being I, said, I, I love Jeffster and I love the subway gags and there, there's a lot of it that I did very much like. Um, you know what? I think that the finale, um, this is going to seem really weird for me because I think that I have probably all three of us connected to it, the whole series, probably the most. Um, I found the finale was amazing in my personal opinion. I think it's rushed in certain spots. The uh, fan servicing, as you guys have put it, like the, I want to see the extended cut that I know they're going to make out of it. Um, the thing that I loved was the, I actually will say, I think the last three minutes is amazing. Um, they actually, the, the, their choice of music is as weird as it's going to sound. Um, they always had a theme for Chuck and Sarah and it's the very first time they've ever closed it off. Like actually finished the theme um, right before they went into um the song that everybody was like desperately searching for afterwards, which is rivers and roads by uh, the head and the heart. And I just thought it really hit the emotional center. It needed to, to be a great finale. Um, now it has sparked a lot of, you know, things on the internet and petitions and literally 25,000 people signing up onto petitions to get, you know, the, the show restarted in the first 24 hours kind of thing. Jesus. But, oh, it's crazy. Um, the, the, the official Facebook site for Chuck put up a, you know, thanks to our fans and literally within the first hour, it was almost up over 13,000 likes and like 2000 comments. The, um, uh, Twitter hashtag, um, goodbye Chuck, I think has had something posted every minute for the last three days. It hasn't stopped. The fans are desperately trying to get the show going again now if they do i don't think it will it will either be on a different network um zachary levi has brought up the point of possibly doing a pay for episode thing that would basically it would be online and the fans would be the ones backing the show i've never heard of it being done that way i could see tv movies i don't see a feature film being made a check necessarily but it's very interesting because i think that the creators and the actors are very meta about the fact that their fans are very rapidly tech geeks and if any show was going to make a fan supported or fan funded show it would be chuck to be the first one at least i think yeah i do think that uh the fan support has been really interesting and uh very strong and i would agree it, the timing does seem you know it seems like it's about right for somebody to try this whether or not it would be successful or whether or not it'll happen with chuck i, I couldn't say but i do think that it is very uh, serendipitous timing for if something like this is going to happen. 
I I think it's an interesting idea for something else. I mean, like, I, I'm again me asshole, mm-hmm. but I, I I really feel <laughs> like like the show's concept characters have kind of run their course. I, I with um, barring some some massive reinvention, I I don't see much else for them really to do. Yeah. Mm, Chuck versus the baby. <laughs> Well, I th- actually, that was the title of an episode, but I could see it being something. <laughs> Even if- yeah, see, they, they did it already. It's over. Even if they only just do one episode, you know, like one episode or even a 10-minute long thing on the internet between uh, Von Strahovski and Zachary Levi, where you get to see them in the nursery. I think the fans would go ape. <laughs> I, I actually think if, I think if they were smart and they did that for the DVD release, they would ensure that it would make millions for the DVD release. Yeah, I don't think the fans will be happy until they get to beat Chuck. Frankly, <laughs> <laughs> that's the only thing that'll stem it. Unfortunately, we are actually running long, so we need to wrap this up. But uh, we're gonna let's go around and say if if you have a favorite episode, a favorite guest star, and any final thoughts, uh, Sean. Oh, quickly, okay. Um, I will have to say I think my favorite guest stars were Linda Hamilton, Linda Hamilton, and Scott Bakula. As the parents uh, brought a lot of history in, um, I absolutely loved um, Chuck versus the Cliffhanger, which was last year's finale where Chuck and Sarah got married. Um, I think f- the finale is great, and I'll have um, a lot of fond memories for Chuck. It's one of, for me. It's actually going to be one of those shows where I don't know what I'm going to do with my uh, Friday and Monday nights now because I really enjoyed it. Yeah, Simon. Uh, for me, I, I I think that because of its many endings, I. Mentally, I kind of leave off with Chuck at the end of season two, and I, I do think its first two seasons are quite strong. Um, whether or not that's entirely fair is up to you, the listener. But uh, I, I, I do think as an experiment in, in fan show uh, interaction, to me, that's sort of how the show is more, most interesting in a way. Any thoughts on guest stars or no? Uh, guest, not really. I mean, to, to me, the, the most interesting parts of the show never really relied on that stuff too heavily. Okay. Uh, for me, I don't really, though I enjoy the Chuck versus uh, way that they titled all the episodes, it means I don't really remember what each episode is, um, or as particularly the titles. And for me, I remember moments more than I remember whole episodes. So for me, the rather than an episode, the I, I really loved the, the wedding for Chuck and Sarah and... And the and Ellie's wedding, I think, was also really great. The Ellie uh, Claire's Claire being born, and then also the um, the early I want to say it's season two episode where they storm the Bymore. Uh, it's I think it's like a Black Friday or something episode. I remember that being really great. So those would be my rather than episode favorite episodes. Those would be my favorite moments. And as for guest stars, uh, I agree. Scott Bakula and Linda Hamilton are great. I really liked uh, Matt Bomer as Bryce Larkin. I think he gave a lot of depth to what could have been such an uh an uninteresting character and i would actually say i think brandon rouse's character is more of an evil version of bryce larkin than than chuck but uh i i so i also really enjoyed him along with timothy dalton who's just so much fun in season four. Oh, volkov yeah yeah <laughs> so i guess that those are my, my final thoughts uh, you know if it's chuck is just one of those shows where if if it hits the right beats for you if if you check out the pilot or you know or or one of the random episodes and you like it you're probably gonna love this show so i do think there's not enough respect given to a show that just is fun and embraces silliness and and just really goes all out with that so i would say uh it 
on the whole, it's been a fun ride with Chuck. So I look forward to seeing what these this cast and these creative uh, teams do in the future. Well said. Uh, so, Sean, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can our listeners find you? <laughs> Thanks, Kate, and Thanks, Simon. Thanks for having me on. Um, your listeners can find uh, me and my co-hosts, Greg and Francis, um, on uh, Zero Pretension. Uh, we're on iTunes under Zero Pretension. Uh, you can find us on our website, www.zeropretension.wordpress.com. Um, follow um, us on Twitter, um, at Zero Pretension, which is kind of, I've taken control over it and made it at a Chuck Love Fest the last couple of days, so it might get <laughs> annoying for some. But I guess that there's in this, they like Chuck, so thanks for having me on, guys. It was fun. Um, thank you, uh, everyone, for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. 